Hello, and welcome back to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. Once again, I am your host, Chris Wakaluk, and I'll be sitting down in one-on-one hour-long conversations with current Pender Island residents to hear the stories that brought them to this athletic little island we live on, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. Today, I will be speaking with Angie Bounds. Now, if you know Angie like I know Angie, then you're going to know her as that good friend of yours you've had ever since you've moved to the island. (laughs) Well, if that is or if that isn't the case with you, regardless, today you're going to get to find out a lot more about Angie, such as we're going to get to hear her talk about her time growing up in Saskatchewan and her dozen years playing ringette. She'll discuss how her participation in rowing eventually brought her to the West Coast, and as well Angie will talk about veganism, health and nutrition, and pole dancing for exercise. All that in a pretty exciting little episode I got to do with my friend here a little while ago. And man, I had a lot of fun doing this. And I'm sure you'll be able to hear that in the interview. Without further ado, here is my interview with Angie Bounds. Angie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, right on. We're here on a uh, Friday night. Right? Yeah, it's the first Friday night recording I've ever done for this podcast. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here as well, too. Fantastic. You were going to walk over here, but you drove the short distance. I thought it was 7.30, but it was 7. The meeting. I had to rush. Okay. Took a quick right, then a left. (laughs) (laughs) And you're here. Fantastic. On a November evening on a Friday night. Well, here we are, and we're here to uh, find out what brought you to Pender Island, Angie. We had moved from Vancouver, Greg and I, my husband of, I don't know how many years, like, I think it's like 26 years now. Wow, seriously? I think so, in November. (gasps) It's coming up. Okay, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, that's this month, by the way. It's this month. Okay, so we moved from Vancouver to Victoria. I happened to be pregnant at the time with our first babe, only babe, Sadie Babe. And we were living in Victoria in this loft above Market Square. And we were paying a dollar a square foot. And it was a 700 square foot building. It was great. It was right above the Solstice Cafe. And... Every Saturday, I would go down to Chinatown, and they would have a Government Street Market there. And I would check in with this woman who was always there every time, and it was Jamie Church. And we started talking about, you know, she knew me when I was pregnant with Sadie, and we talked about where we were going to go after that. And Pender Island came up, and Jamie said, you should come, come and check it out. And I just thought, well, yeah, sure, an island, whatever. And we did. And within like two weeks, we had a piece of land here ready to go, ready to move. Boom. Wow. Like So within two weeks, you guys purchased a lot, you mean? Pretty much. I mean, things are a little hazy because the kid was born in that time. You know, things were happening. But we definitely wanted to like get some roots somewhere and it wasn't going to be in Victoria. Okay. All right. So Jamie Church was uh, is a woman who lives on the island now, and she lived on the island during that time. She moved off uh, in between that time, but she's the woman selling some stuff at a market you were talking to. Selling stuff at a market. And now here she is back on Pender, and she was a, a 
big catalyst to get us moving here. And when we moved here, it was magic. There was people moving here, like-minded people, artsy people, people who just wanted to get away from the city, like wanted to grow their own food, like all these people, like-minded people coming to the island. It was seriously crazy magical. Okay. So what year was that in? Late 2004. Okay, so you say it was magical and there's a lot of other people moving here. Can you describe a little bit more about that? What was what exactly was going on? There was a lot happening on the island then. There was lots of building going on. There was young families moving in. It was affordable. Um, we found moving from Victoria, if we wanted to build something, you'd have to build like one of these four houses in this cul-de-sac, you know, out in Langford was sort of what we were looking at to afford. And so when we came here and we're driving around and we found some property that was available and in our price range, we could build not the house of our dreams, but we built a pretty great house. So I think a lot of people found it affordable and they were able to move here. Okay. So you guys undertook the project of building your own house. How did that go? It was great. We um, we met a lot of contractors on the island. We had good people working for us. I don't know actually how I swung that, but I met a lot of great people, great contractors. We had our house built from a company in Nanus Bay, and they just came and did it up to lock up in eight days which you never see anymore. Maybe you do. I see houses now that are being built for like two years. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Not like lock up in eight days. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Definitely. You know, there, there was more to it for sure. Like a lot of these homes that are taking these two years are like custom, you know, and this was just sort of a package deal, but it got us our first home. Pretty fantastic. Okay. So how was that first year with your first home and a new child and a totally new living situation? How, how did the first year go for you? Um, we were broke. House rich and broke, right? That's how it is. So that's when I found a job at the local Peace Do Grill. Okay. Working with Pierre. Oh, this this has come up in a recent mm-hmm. interview, actually, with Teresa. <laughs> okay. It's true. I did work with Teresa for a little bit there. But that job at Peace Do really got me into the community because before I was like at home with Sadie, helping to build our house. I was doing the finishing inside. Like Anyway, Peace Do just got me into the community more um, sort of away from just people with kids and all, all walks of life that were coming into Pierre's restaurant to eat his amazing food. So I was getting people from all over, all over the island. It was a great way to meet people. Yeah, for sure it is. You know, like I think for most people moving to the island, that's the easiest and best way to wind up getting to see who lives on the island is having like a retail job or working in a job in a restaurant. Yeah. Because you really get a lot of like high volume, a lot of turnover and you get to see like who's living in this place. So mm-hmm. that's what happened with you. And then I guess what, uh, what happened after working, working there? Well, Pierre and I still work together. We've managed to survive each other. Yeah. <laughs> I still work with Pierre, but he ended up closing Peace Do Grill because it was just same old story, really hard to run a restaurant all year round and have a life. So he ended up closing that and now we just do catering. Not just catering's fantastic. 
So from there, I just started doing some landscaping maintenance types of jobs. And I worked at recycling too. And that's where I met a lot of people as well. So that's where all my contacts are coming from. Just like being out in the community and doing things. Totally. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dig back into the past a little bit here and find out uh, a little bit more about how you actually got to Vancouver, then Victoria, then Pender. Where did where did it all start for Angie? Where were you uh, born and raised? I was born and raised in Regina, Saskatchewan. It was a good place to grow up. I'm glad I left when I did, but it set me up for sure. It's a good place. I grew up in a great a, a great neighborhood. I had a great family life. I did a lot of sport. I played ringette, which was a big prairie thing. Yeah. For lack of a better explanation, it's like girls hockey, you know? It was um, sort of the option for girls back then. Um, this was maybe 10 or 12 years before girls were even considered to maybe play on a boys team and be the only girl in the change room with all these guys or you're in the ref room changing or you know so ringette was sort of the only girls ice sport at that time and we all knew how to skate like everyone knows how to skate when they're four you know yeah so ringing has played with a stick without a blade and it's uh, like a circular piece of rubber with a hole in the middle? That's right. Okay. All right. Ring. Ring. Ring out. Okay. Well, how far did you get in ring out? I was on the national team for ring out. What? What mm-hmm. age? What age was this? I think I was like 16 when that all went down. Yeah. Okay. 16. So I played ring out from the time I was four till 16. Wow. Oh, yeah. It was big time. We were a traveling team. We went for it. Okay. So where'd you guys travel to? All through Canada, Fredericton, all the, you know, all the way east. We would do tons of tournaments all through Canada, but traveling all over into the States a little bit too. So we did a lot. Neat. It was good. Yeah, that's really neat. And so mm-hmm. with the situation, I've never actually had that experience in my past with team sports and you know, that much time playing a particular sport, but that must have been like a lot of bonding with the girls on the team, I would imagine. Tons, yeah. Yeah, there was definitely there was definitely a divide. Regina is kind of, the time when I was growing up, it was really divided. There was like the North Enders, which were kind of like the headbanger crowd, you know, and then the South Enders, which were more preppy, so there was really that divide in our team. But then as you get on the ice, that divide fades away. But off ice, there definitely was this this movement, like the headbangers were here. the private, And we played with each other for so many years that eventually we became one. Like we respected each other, but still it was still this, this weird preppies headbanger vibe. Wait, yeah. so what, were you a preppy or a headbanger? I'm going to let you guess. Well, I'm going to guess headbanger? I'll leave it at that. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Well, who was, your, who was your best friend on the team? Who was your... I had so many best friends. So many. I was a goalie. What? Oh man! This whole yeah. time, I never imagined you playing goal. I really? was like, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this adds to depth of the story here. Does it? So you were the goalie. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I had many friends on the team. Like we were all we were all very tight. It was great. It was good times. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then you spent a lot of time rowing when you were in Regina as well, too. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about that? So I I quickly 
parlayed from ringette into rowing. It was just sort of this thing that came up. My mom at the time was talking to a friend of hers and I think their kid was getting involved in rowing, this learned row program. And my mom thought that would be a good thing for me because I was sort of fizzling out of the ringette thing. And so I went to it and loved it. And of course, because of my size, I got propelled forward in that because everyone wants to be like six feet tall, at least 150 pounds. You got to have some like weight behind you. You got to be long and strong. So boom, that was it. Rowing was my thing. <laughs> so where did you guys row? We rode on the man-made lake in Wascana Park in the middle of Regina. Oh. Yeah, it was very small. The lake was maybe a thousand meters long. And when we row, when we race, it's 2,000 meters. So we were always training, turning, <laughs> racing, turning, racing, turning. We got really good at turns. A lot of grumbling on the boat. It's like, why don't we have a bigger lake? <laughs> why don't we have a less weedy lake? Oh, okay. It's terrible. Sometimes you would flip because you'd get caught in weeds with your oar. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. That was my first job, actually, Chris. Which was what exactly? Pulling the weeds out of Wascana Lake. Oh, there's a job <laughs> pulling the weeds out? I had this machine and I would like drive along uh, and then I would drop this gate. I would hit the weeds like, uh, and I'd be stopped dead in the water. This gate thing was supposed to be for a lake with minor weed problems. This lake was man-made, so it was like major lake problems. And so we would hit these weeds and almost be propelled out the front of the boat. Like, it was just this barge. And so from there, I had to pitchfork all the weeds out onto the barge and drive it into the into the beach. Whoa. How old were you when you had this job? Like 16, 17. First, first job. And were you, were you on the barge alone or were you with other people? On my own. On your own. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious about this. How did you like that for a first job? This kind of a unique first job. Do you like I it? I think or? I actually broke my wrist. Like just a little fracture. I had to pull start this motor and then it would backfire. Seriously, old machine. Now I think back, would I ever have Sadie on a lake on her own when she's 16? Put Maybe. Did you have a life jacket? No. Was it a deep lake? Deep enough. Okay. All right. There were weeds. Okay. How good? They didn't even... Wow. Where was WorkSafe Saskatchewan <laughs> in this situation? My goodness. So you had to pull the weeds, but obviously there was too many to pull for one person because yeah. it was still a problem when you were rowing. Absolutely. All right. It and, was just basically make work for Angie so she could keep rowing all summer, pretty much. All right. And so what happened with rowing? How far did you get with uh, your rowing career? Rowing was great. It took me to Victoria. I ended up rowing for Vic City in Victoria and a little bit for UVic too. And then I would train with the national team coaches and the team there on Elk Lake. And then I just got really tired of getting up early, Chris. Like how early did you have to get up for rowing? Like five. That's pretty early. In the dead of winter in Victoria. And I didn't have a car. Oh. So I was biking. What? From James Bay. And then I also had a place on Hillside that was like quite a bit closer than James Bay, all the way out to Elk Lake every day. And then back. And we'd do that twice a day. So we're talking five days a week you'd do that? Yeah. Six. 
six days a week you would bike from james bay to elk lake row yeah. and then bike home oh yeah. my gosh i know i think back what the hell was i thinking yeah i don't know but yeah. anyway it got you were- me really fit <laughs> <laughs> it's it sure better if it didn't something you weren't doing something right there okay so you were uh, you're in victoria your husband of the last 42 years or so like uh, where where did you wind up meeting Wait greg a second well i met greg at camosun college my whole thing was i wanted to eventually row for uvic but i'd never got the grades to get into UVic. So I had to do this this um, two-year transfer program from Camosun to get into UVic. But of course, I quit before I was finished. But I met Greg Lucas. So it all worked out. It's all good. Where was the first meeting? Where did it happen? In my Psychology 101 class. Do you really want to know that story? Yeah, of course. So Greg... I saw him in my class and he was, you know, he's just a guy sitting in my class. And so I went and sat beside him. And then a friend of mine really thought Greg was quite handsome and said, look, I need to get to know that guy in your class. And I said, well, sure, I'll, I'll, you can meet up with him. Why not? You know, he's my study partner. So anyway, she ended up not going for Greg because it turned out Greg was into me. Mm. Good boy, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) Fell for a steady partner. (laughs) I sure did. So that's when we met in Psychology 101. And then ever since, we've just been doing our thing. We moved to Taiwan after that, a few years after that. Okay, why'd you guys move to Taiwan? We went to teach English. Taiwan was a crazy mess. The pollution blew us away. We came from BC. It was clean, Our waters weren't full of garbage. Our creeks through the cities weren't full of toxic sludge. That was Taiwan in a nutshell. Like we would ride our motorbikes around the city and come home and like scrape the soot off our face. Wow. Like super polluted, but fun as hell. We were 27-ish. Didn't really have a lot of responsibility. We just went to Taiwan to maybe pay off our student loans. And there was just a lot of people doing the same. So there was a lot of people just out of university with their degrees. Most of them were teachers from all over Canada. I think they did a big hiring boom throughout Canada for those, obviously, for like a few years before us and after too. Okay. Well, let's let's bring it uh, back to Pender Island here and talk about right. some of the things uh, on Pender. I know that when we were uh, talking a little bit before the interview started, uh, one of the things that came up was uh, roller derby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I think this is kind of interesting that uh, you had a hand in trying to uh, start up some uh, roller derby team action on the island. So let's hear a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. I was approached by Kai... Originally, she had had some experience in roller derby before. I actually didn't know really anything about it. But of course, it sounds really fun. And sure, I'll do some roller derby. I knew how to skate. Why not? Let's do it. So we started up a team and we had a lot of fun. We all practiced really hard. We practiced every night of the week. We were renting out spaces, put holes in walls at the Bible camp, like... (laughs) We were all really training really hard to get to be good skaters and learn the rules of the game. But of course, we didn't have a coach. We were all just like learning off the internet. 
and it was great. There was a core group of us. It was good. Yeah. Are you guys still doing that a little bit or is that pretty much... It's kind of fizzled. It's tricky. It's really tricky to keep a team going when we all have to give her. You know, we're all just like trying to get things going on in our lives. And it's really hard to give any time away from your family or other commitments, right? For sure. It's well, I, to get going. I know you pretty well, for sure. I've known you for years. And I know that mm-hmm. you're pretty busy most of the time because it seems like you like to keep busy. You like to do a lot of things in your life. And one of the things that uh, I know you're working on right now is coming up for uh, next year's Zoo Islander fashion show, which you've been involved with for the last two years. And yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. if you want to talk about that for a little bit, because I know you're really passionate about that, along with my wife, it. Geneva, as well, too. Let's, let's hear about it. Yeah. Um, so Zoo Islander is an island-wide fashion and art show i wish madeline was here because she'd be able to give you the the true title of it all but for me it's showcasing fashion on the island fashion and performance and just i i just really feel like it's a it's a place to get out on stage and if you want to start your stuff do it like it's just it's so fun you're not going to get that opportunity None of us are going to be supermodels. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people like being on the stage or they they like the clothing or whatever it is that they're they're showcasing. It's just a good catalyst. All right, so for people who haven't been to it in the last couple of years, it happens at the hall in February and then it's going to be happening again this uh, upcoming 2019. Can you describe what the nights like a little bit for people who haven't uh, been to a, one of these before? It's a good time. I think people enjoy it. You get to see a lot of Pender characters out there on the runway or people you wouldn't even expect. And you're like, I've seen that person before. Look at them. They're rocking it or whatever. It's just a a great venue. Yeah. So so there's different people that have different uh, lines that they put out. So I know mm-hmm. last year somebody did a line that was based on Twin Peaks TV show. Absolutely. You and my wife, Geneva, you guys did uh, trucker hats, <laughs> which were super cool. And then there, there, there was like seven other lines as well, too. Absolutely. And this year it's looking like we've got, so far we've got nine designers. Ooh. So it's happening, folks. I'm looking forward to it because I I got a chance to co-MC the first one and then uh, I got to witness it from a great vantage point. And that was one of the funnest nights I've ever had on Pender Island was was, uh, that night. And then the following year as well, too. It's easily one of the coolest events on the island. It's a good time. I think everyone's having a good time. There's so much talent on this island. It's ridiculous. The artists that come through with some of their designs blow my mind. And then seeing people strut their stuff on the runway where you wouldn't expect them to be that outgoing or whatever you need to be out on the runway. Some people rock it. Some people just slowly saunter out like cool cucumbers, you know? Yeah. It's just so wild to see that personality and then the fashion as well. Totally. And the crowd's really into it as well, too. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of energy coming from the crowd and they're hooting and hollering and clapping and it's great. And I think this year is going to be more also a focus on the audience, maybe dressing up a little bit, too. Oh, OK. Because I know that it was tried a little bit last year, but you're going to guys are going to try even it's gonna more. It's going to be more. Oh, lovely. Fantastic. OK, well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about a couple other things that are important in your life. I know that health and nutrition are mm-hmm. uh, two things that are important, along with pole dancing. 
<laughs> nice segue. I know. It's like, let, let's like merge those two together here. But uh, whichever one you want to start with, and maybe how can, you can incorporate the two, perhaps. But anyway, mm-hmm. take it away on uh, on your your joy of uh, health and nutrition and pole dancing. <laughs> I did get my holistic nutrition certification in Vancouver and that's that's really helped me in in my family and friends day-to-day life and myself that I've really not put a lot of energy into expanding it I just have other things on the go <laughs> okay well why was it important for you to get involved in that in the beginning I just wanted a deeper understanding of how the body worked, what foods fuel the body. So obviously, like coming from my sport background and being a kid, you're not really thinking about fueling your body. You're just doing your thing. But then when you hit your mid-20s, it's kind of like, ah, I actually need to be paying attention here. Before this, you know, your youth just was taking over your your solid you're good you got all your calories you're good to go but then as you get older like you have to start thinking about what is actually fueling your body there's no one right way to take for any body so you really have to dive into what your body needs so i just needed all that information and you got it obviously right so what changes did you make with your own lifestyle that were based on that information at the time before I'd actually gone to nutrition school, I'd, I'd decided to become vegan. And that didn't really come into play with nutrition school really at all. Like I'd already made the decision before because I just, I started out being vegetarian, just kind of, it was a fad. And then within a week I was like, well, not to slag any vegetarians out there, but I just thought, well... If you're going to do the non-cruelty thing, then go vegan. If you're going to do purely health, then go vegan. You know, it just made sense to me and my body. It worked for me. So I did. And so I've been vegan for 25 years. Wow. Uh huh. I didn't realize it was that long. That's a Mm -hmm. long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like this is curious to me because I was a vegetarian for a number of years, 11 years. And in those 11 years, I saw a lot of changes and the kind of foods that were available for me to yeah. eat from the start to the end. But what sort of changes have you noticed with what's available to eat in the last 25 years? Oh, man, you can be such a junk food addict now. You know, you can eat so, so crappy and still be considered vegan 10 or 15 years ago, you were making everything from scratch. If you wanted soy balls, you were making them out of super gluten and soybeans. Like you were doing it all. You were fermenting stuff on your own. Like I think it's coming back around, but there's also a lot of pre-packaged, not so healthy vegan foods. It's delicious, but you're a junk food junkie if you're eating that stuff. So you got to go back to whole foods. Okay. So becoming a vegan and in terms of seeing the changes that occurred within your your body because of that, like what would you say are some of the noticeable health benefits that you you noticed in the early days? I think I just felt, <laughs> it sounds so corny and woo-woo, but I definitely felt energetically lighter. Mm. Like this weight of, maybe it's this weight of death was off me. I don't know what it was, but maybe it was all in my head, whatever it was. Like I felt lighter. I wasn't bogged down. 
you know? Yeah. No, I, I, just, I know. I, I felt more alive. So I've just stayed with that. Mm-hmm. Cool. And the, no, no going back. No. I don't think so. I mean, I was vegan when I was pregnant with Sadie and vegan all the way through nursing Sadie, all of that. So I never really felt like I was missing out on anything. So I don't feel the need to go back to anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And so how did being a vegan uh, help you become a better pole dancer? <laughs> 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 is there a correlation between being vegan and no. pole? No. And pole? No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Um, it was after Sadie was born. Mm-hmm. So 2003-ish. After Sadie was more born, I needed to do something at home for myself to work out for myself. Not just like lifting weights in the basement. You know, that was boring to me. So... I had made a friend on the island and she introduced pole dancing. She said, this is kind of the rage in the UK. We should do this. So right on. That sounded great. I went for it and we started practicing in her living room and she had two little boys. So we just went for it. All our kids all played together. We were able to pole dance in the afternoons. It was a good time. And so we learned online how to pole dance. This is before there were any classes for pole dancing. There was like two pole dancers really in the world that we knew of who were teaching pole. Yeah, we weren't into performing at all. Uh, That wasn't our thing. It was more just like health and fitness, you know. And then we realized, oh, damn, this is really fun. And this is a dance. And neither of us came into this pole dance thing with any dance background. So... The dance part of it was was new to us and tough and challenging. And the fitness part was not, I wouldn't say it was easy. It was definitely challenging, but that's where we found our greatest gains because we were both really strong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I've in your basement, you have a pole set up and I've tried, I'm going to put try in air quotes a couple times to like use the pole and man, you need a lot of strength to use that thing. It's true, but you're not going to get that strength right away. It's the same old thing. If you don't do pull-ups, you're not going to be able to do a pull-up. If you don't do pole dance, you're never going to be a pole dancer. Fair enough. And subsequently, you have taught pole dancing on the island to Mm -hmm. a number of people. Yeah, I've got some ongoing classes right now. Right now? Yeah. Okay, right on. And because it's not only pole dancing that you you teach from your house, uh, you do other fitness teaching from your house uh-huh. as well too yeah what else do you do i've i've actually moved from in my house so i've i've gotten a little more insurance savvy i actually have a studio on mckinnon road down there across from the legion and we do pole dance classes there and then i do teach trx too but i haven't found a place where i can do that at the moment i'm just uh really busy so i'm focusing on pole and my other work sorry what is trx it's the suspension training program. So it's just where you, you're you using your own body weight for everything, and it's all core all the time. Okay. So you get really strong really fast. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> well, it, it seems like a, a theme through your life is physical fitness and just using your body. And so that seems like that's a huge component to who you are. I think you always gravitate to the things that you're good at. And I've always been strong. 
my body has always been my strength. I've always been strong. It's just in me. So I do focus on that because it's easy to me. I probably need to do more things that I'm not good at, like interviews. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. You're doing it right now. Yeah. Nothing, nothing like the uh, starting today. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's interesting because there are people out there who I, who don't resonate with exercise, who, Mm -hmm. you know, don't do any exercise, but it seems like the work you do with landscaping, working out, teaching people. And it seems like it's a major component of your life, but you're saying it's, I, I think that's uh profound way to look at it is that people gravitate towards the things that they're good at right Mm. and that you just really realized that using your body and your physicality is something that you're good at Mm -hmm. it just gives me a bit of a charge i get a kick out of seeing what my body can do because we're given this body let's just see what it can do you know yeah Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, well, let's move it into the second traditional question on this program, which which you know what this is, right? No. What? I thought you said you listened to previous interviews. Jeez. Well, the, uh, the second uh, question that I have to ask people on this program all the time is, who has helped you along the way on Pender Island? And it's the standard answer. There's so many people on this island that have helped me along the way. It's crazy. This island is full of beautiful people willing to help. It's wild. So I think a few of the people that really helped me along the way was obviously the guys that were helping to build my house. You know, that's huge. I had Mike Fisker doing my drywall. I had Cam Davis doing my plumbing. I had Mike Banks doing my electrical. All these people who were island characters, grimmers in my septic field, you know, like so many people. And it really just made me connected to this island because they were so established here already. You know, Gail at the CRD and Tim, the building inspector, like all these people that you first meet when you're here and give you good information and good vibes about the place. And you stick around because you feel like you're you're in. Okay. Anybody in recent memory that uh, that's given you help in the last ten years? Well, <laughs> uh, there's there's seriously been so many people. Um, Pierre is a huge one for sure. He and I have worked together for a long time, and we know each other really well, and we still like each other. That's huge. That's huge. You know, he's Pierre. He can piss a lot of people off, and. I'll be the first to say, (laughs) but we seem to work it out. So Pierre for sure has propelled me forward. He's given me a lot of advice around just culture. Like he's French, so he's got this whole idea of how people need to dine. And it's just French culture, which is so fascinating because it's so different than Canadian culture where we sit with our elbows on the table and shit. And he would never appreciate that at all it has to be proper everything proper so it was just a nice introduction to that maybe okay and my british roots maybe i don't know seriously every person that i've ever worked for has propelled me forward you know i can't even really think of one i've got great friends you know that's huge to have a group of people Even the people that you're not friends with on the island that you just see like here and there, you just still feel like people kind of have your back, you know? 
they kind of know you, they see you at the grocery store, whatever. But it's interesting. So for people who are listening to this who don't live on the island, if you can expand on that a little bit. So you're saying you feel as if acquaintances on the island have your back. Yeah, a little bit. Because we're all in this together. We're all on this little island. If if something goes down, we're all, we got to be together here. You know? So I just sort of feel like this, just this knowing like, yeah, you know, we're in this together. It just feels a little bit closer than say you're in Victoria. You know, here it's like we have a chance to have all the connections. You know? I do. Just a small place. We see each other often. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see bad stuff happening to people on this island. No. I want everyone to be able to live well. It's kind of interesting, though, because the dangers, potential danger of something going down is not really prevalent. But I totally understand what you mean about the fact that there's this undercurrent of compassion that exists within the island. And it's it's interesting you describing that because... As you were speaking, I'm, I'm realizing, oh, yeah, Angie's totally right, that uh, it really is a tangible feeling in a way that people really do have your back in case you need it. Mm-hmm. Like so, so much. If you're short $5 at the grocery store, you don't have to put that on a back. The person behind you is probably going to give you five bucks or the teller or the the salesperson is going to give you five bucks. You know, everyone just sort of has been there before and they're not judging and they're just like, pay me the next time. You, see. you know, yeah. it happens to all of us and it's a great place that would never happen in the city. Yeah. So before you and Greg moved to the island, like, or what was your imagination of what the island was going to be like? Did it wind up living up to what you expected or has it been different? I honestly had no idea what it would be. We moved here thinking that we would play disc golf every day. And I think I've been to the course once. Like seriously. Sacrilege. I know. Sorry. I I didn't actually expect too much. I actually just thought it would be a continuation of the city life where you just did your own thing. You just did your work. You went home. But it's so much more than that. It's family. This whole island almost is family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. Some of the people in your family you don't really want to talk to. But But you love them. You love your family. you got their back. You don't want to see anything bad happen to them. Okay. You don't have to see them every day, but... So do you see yourself living on the island for a long time to come? I honestly can't see us living anywhere else. Maybe for the fact that my basement is full of junk. Oh, that would take a lot to move. But no, I love this place. And I feel like it's a great home base. Sadie's going to be going, obviously, away to school somewhere at some point. But I can't see us like following her and going with her. Like I I do like the home base aspect of Pender Island. I don't feel like I need to go anywhere. Well, he did just come back from somewhere. He just came back from Las Vegas. But that's an annual thing. That's an annual why do you go to Las Vegas annually? For the heat, for the classes, pole dance classes, mm-hmm, for the shows, for the thrift shops. 
Yeah, I usually go and take a couple of classes from um, Fanya, who actually used to live in Victoria and went to Vic High. I think she, I think she's around the same age as me. Um, she was actually one of the first pole dance instructors in the world, and now she has a studio in Las Vegas. She's had it for about twenty years now, and so I go and take classes with her sometimes. I think people are quite intimidated by pole dancing. And I think that the reason they are is just the stigma behind it when really it doesn't have to be there. Like who cares if strippers started it, that it was their jam, you know, it doesn't mean that we're all strippers or maybe we are. And it's just time to check yourself. Like, <laughs> you know, so what if they are? So, you know, is that, can she not be into health and fitness as well? So just this whole stigma, I want to empower people to find their own strength. And for me, I really found my strength in pole dancing. It really shows. And anyone can do it. Anybody can do it. And you have to not judge your process of it because it takes everyone different, different times. But just when you see yourself excel and learn a new move, it's so empowering. And I just want to show that to anyone, to everyone, just to be stoked about something. That's really nice. So, you know, what I'm hearing you saying is that you found self-empowerment for yourself and you want to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Yeah. What a great thing to share with people. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that there is a stigma that exists with pole dancing, but... I think it's such an abstract concept for people to bridge pole dancing with fitness. We're doing it right now on this podcast. We're doing it right now. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. We're actually not doing pole dancing right now. We're bridging. <laughs> but we could. These we, ceilings are high enough. Yeah. I guess like if <laughs> <laughs> actually when we first looked at this house when we were purchasing it, there was a pole inside the house. Because you were teaching somebody oh, at the time. Snap, that's right. Yeah, and we're like, what is that in the living room? I was like, Oh, it's a pole. I'm taking oh, pole dancing. Oh my gosh, Danica, that was you. Yeah, that was Danica. So that was our, our introduction to it was before we even met you when we were looking at the house. Oh, trying, full yes. circle, Chris. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> Who's inspired you since you've been on the island in terms of... Oh, uh, now that's a good question. Okay. There are so many inspiring people on this island. Leslie McBain inspires me for just being the kick-ass woman that she is. Amy Heggie inspires the f hell out of me. <laughs> she has so much... Um, artistic talent. It's crazy. Geneva, your wife, same thing. All these people with like, I'm blown away by their minds and how they can take what's in their mind and put it on paper or paint or whatever they, whatever their medium is, but like transmit that. I don't get that. That blows me away. So really any artist blows my mind. Musicians as well. Singers. And this island has so many of those. So everywhere I look, I'm inspired. Nice. So you've never uh, been artistic, you'd say, or, or musical? No. Uh, no. I think I played the hand drum for a little while. Me too. <laughs> I'm not very musical either, so I appreciate and understand that. Yeah. But you find a lot of inspiration of people on the island who are, are tapping into their uh, their artistic creative side. It blows my mind. So many artistic people, dancers, blown away. 
Yeah. But it's interesting what you're doing with Zoo Islander because I see a ton of artistic flair to creating costumes to dress people up to go mm-hmm. walk out on a catwalk with. And it's really creative. You're really into fashion and you spend a lot of time collecting items. Oh, do I ever. Yeah. You have an amazing trunk of items to pick from. Every Halloween, I always find myself at your house going through like this like amazing selection of uh, wardrobe selections. Anyways. It's true. Yeah. You've had some good costumes in the last few years. Thanks to you. For sure. But so what What drives that? Like, what, Because you're clearly interested in fashion. Mm-hmm. I think because you can pretend you can change what you look like and your persona basically based on what you're wearing. The island's not conducive to people being fashionable, I No, and the ones that are fashionable, they sure stand out, don't they? Yeah. Damn. But regardless of that, it doesn't seem to worry you at all. You're like, I, I want to I wanna get dressed up. Mm-hmm. But every day, I'm not. I'm super schleppy and I'm going to work. I'm not looking fashionable every day. <laughs> For sure. Believe me. Well, in terms of talking about looking schleppy going to work, so this is doing... Like farm work, landscaping work. Yeah. Yeah. I I do landscaping and work outdoors as well, too. And I I get a lot out of it. And actually, just Mm -hmm. in the last like few weeks, I've spent a lot of time indoors. And I've been missing the outdoors greatly. But... For me, being outside is such a, a valuable component of life. But what what do you find really enjoyable about doing the landscaping and doing that kind of work? I love the sounds around me, the little birds. I love it. I just stop and hear it all. I love getting stuff done. What do I love about being outside? I, I feel like I'm in charge of my life. I'm not stuck in a cubicle yeah. So you're not plugged into an iPod or anything. You're just listening mm. to the sounds of nature. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I get right into like body positioning and mechanics and my breathing. And it's sort of almost meditative. Yeah, because you can't be doing the exact same body position for six hours straight. And sometimes the job that you're doing is going to take that long. So you got to really focus on your body positioning and keeping things aligned and and keeping your strength in the alignment. If you don't have alignment, you lose strength. So that's a big part of it. And I'm not doing it all the time, but it's just something to definitely be aware of. When your mind wanders, like bring it back. That's what meditation is. Mm-hmm. So while you're working, you're meditating. Yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic. Yeah. What are you looking forward to in the next 10 years of life? What sort of ambitions do you have for down the road? My ambitions vary because sometimes when I'm lying in bed at 7 a.m., I just think I wish I could be retired and just lay in bed all day. But then I knew and I know I wouldn't be happy. I had a week off, I guess a month ago. and Oh, no, it was two weeks off. I had to recover from a surgery. So... I had two weeks off. And by the end of the two weeks, I was so crazy. I had to do something. And so I went right back to everything. You know, the doctor said two weeks and you can get right back to everything. And of course, that day hit and I was like, on. So nothing leading up to that. (laughs) Anyway, I can't just sit idle. I like to think that I could, but it drives me crazy. I've got to be doing stuff. 
So you find mm-hmm. a good mental health place to be in is, is one where you're in motion regularly. Mm-hmm. I tend to maybe judge myself and being lazy if I don't do stuff all the time. I think this is actually, this comes back to rowing and how I had this really great coach who kept me motivated and we always had to do like self-talk and visualization. And so this rowing coach really had us focusing on always on the positive and, and coaching that I've done in the past is always like, you never focus on the negative things that the person's doing. You want to focus on the positive so that that's in their head. You would think about rowing and being like, oh, look at that. She's slouching at the at the release. When really you say you need to sit up at the release rather than saying the negative part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. So you focus on the positive and then that makes me sound like so Pollyanna, but it works. It does work. Language is really powerful. Mm-hmm. It really is. And it casts spells on people and how you choose to say something to another individual has a lot yeah. of power. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, when I see you interacting with people, I see so much energy and positivity coming from you when you're Mm -hmm. interacting with other people. And I see you taking a lot of time and effort in making other people feel good around you. Aww. It's true. Well, why would you want people to feel bad around you? Well, I don't know. That's a question for some other people, perhaps. But, but you know, I guess a question to ask around that is that what is your motivation for wanting to... Because I, I actually see you really giving in our interactions with people quite a lot. And so what is your motivation for, for being so giving within interactions with people? Hmm. I think I always just want to lift people up. I want them to to rise up, to be... I don't want them going away from me feeling bad about themselves. Like that's, that's not what you want. I want what everyone wants. When you meet up with someone, you want to feel like, yeah, that was such a great interaction. You know, you don't want to leave being like, oh, fuck, that was a fucking downer. You know? Totally. Yeah. I love propping people up. I love empowering. I love, I love helping people because if it's that easy, seriously, like just, chatting with people and being positive and and being real and propping someone up like is it that hard i think some days it can be pretty hard i think depending on well that's when you put your hood up and you don't talk to anybody yeah (laughs) (laughs) for sure but let's not kid ourselves that actually does take a lot of energy Mm -hmm. and it's it's nice to acknowledge within ourselves the things that we do that benefit those around us Mm-hmm. I, I think it's maybe, you know, the extrovert, the introvert, I actually get a big charge out of feeling a connection with someone and, and propping them up. I'm not going to go around and, and be a false proper, you know, but I'm definitely going to see the good things in people and focus on that more. Hopefully. Do I do that? I hope I do that. That's I think my, you do. That's my, that's what I want. I'm striving for that. All right. In terms of like the physical physical fitness side of things, I was talking to somebody recently and they were talking about just going into their deep senior years about like how active they want to be. I guess this is never going to change for you. You, for the rest of your life, are going to just want to gonna be in good physical shape and it's really kind of the most important thing to you, I'd say. Or is it? 
What is the most important thing to Angie Bounds? Well, the most important thing changes all the time. Really. Where's that at right now for you? Definitely, I still want to be as strong as I can be for my age, that that sort of thing. But age definitely happens. You don't really see it happening until all of a sudden, oh, wow, it's happening. You know, you don't see it till maybe if you're lucky, late 40s, you know, things start changing. I think people at 40 start feeling differently than they did before. Your recovery time is a little bit different. So I think just moving forward into however, wherever I get to, I just want to be capable. But you're given what you're given, I think. I think I think so much of what we're able to do in our life comes from motivation and how much work we choose to put into things because we're given mm-hmm. what we're given. But then on top of that, I th- I'm starting to realize just personally right now, just how much effort you execute towards a particular goal really makes a huge difference in what happens. Yeah, I agree. But then, the, yeah. It's true. I, I just had this talk with Geneva last night. Actually, we were talking about like predisposed or, you know, we were talking about shingles and how, well, if you have had chicken pox, then you're going to get shingles. And Geneva, of course, is like, no, don't put that out there. Right. And I can see that for sure. But also statistically, it's like, no, you probably are going to get shingles when your immune system goes low, especially if you have an autoimmune disease. So it's a tricky one. After my dad died, actually, it was something like, okay, so Parkinson's disease may be hereditary, but is it? You know? So you never really know until it happens. So you just have to stay as healthy as you can with maybe this in your head, like, oh, I might be predisposed to that or something. But still, what can you do about it? If you are, you are. After my dad passed away, you just, like, that's a big one. That's a big one when your parents go, you know, because then you're you're next in line. It's like you're facing your mortality, like it's happening. You grow up thinking that your parents will live forever because they've always been there. They've always been your rocks, you know, and then all of a sudden they're gone. And you're like, holy crap. I'm next in line. Yeah, it did affect me when my dad passed away, for sure, because he was like the patriarch of the family. And then he's gone, and it's like, wow, okay. Parkinson's, is that hereditary? Are we all going to go that way? And so you just start thinking (laughs) about what's going to take you. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to, you know, talk about that because like the things that are actually on our minds, maybe not necessarily the things that we wind up sharing with people Mm -hmm. regularly, but the things that are on our minds. So I I guess that is something from what I'm hearing you say and it's on your mind is that, will you get Parkinson's disease? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just don't know. And you can do like all you all you can to prevent that. But there's still really no cure and no reason they haven't figured out why it happens. So you can't really do anything about it. So you just have to live and do all the fun things. Well, what is, what is the meaning of life for you, Angie? Definitely to have fun. I need to have all the fun, Chris. 
all the fun. I need to experience things. I need to have fun. It's definitely important to have connections with people and prop people up. That's a big part of what my meaning of life is for sure. Like I don't, I don't want to squash people. That doesn't feel good to me. I want to, the people I care about, I want, I want to propel them forward. That's my meaning of life. I think that's what I can contribute. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to wind it up pretty quick here, but maybe we'll just leave one last word to you. If uh, anything was left unsaid or anything you want to put out for the last thing on the podcast, the last word goes to you, Angie. (laughs) Why do you do that to me, Chris? Oh my God. So on the spot. I'm not prepared. There's so many mentors out there. There's so many people that I admire on this island and I think we do need to find mentors for ourselves, no matter how old we are. Like, it doesn't matter if they're older or younger or, you know, they're just doing something that's inspiring and we can help each other that way. Because it's easier to identify those people on a small island, the mentors and the people we admire? I think they're just easier to to get to. You know, you may have that mentor in Victoria or Vancouver, but you got to send like 50 emails and get someone's assistant. And, you know, and here you can just see them at the grocery store and say, you know, hey, can we go for tea somewhere and chat about some things I've got in mind or whatever? And people are usually open to that. Just the communication's more open here, maybe. For sure. You know, I have to say, I don't think I've heard somebody use the word admire or also talk about mentors on this podcast. If somebody has, excuse me, but uh, those two words seem pretty new to me. And I think Mm -hmm. what you're saying is really amazing, actually, that the access and the ability to find people who we admire and then to potentially have them as mentors is very accessible on the island. Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, we can get all our answers from Google. You know, we can fix our dishwashers and our washing machines through Google. But like life skills, stuff that you need a person for, I think it's accessible here more than the city for sure. And we need to tap into that. We've got some good people around. For sure. Well, maybe we should put it out there as just a general idea that people who are seeking mentors or potentially want to be mentors to people to just sort of uh, put that seed into people's minds that, you know, perhaps there are people who are uh, seeking or in need and of uh, being one or the other. Just have like more of a personal connection than Google. Yeah. Maybe you (laughs) could be a mentor to somebody. Well, sure. What do you want to know? There you go, Pender Island. What do you want to know? If anybody's seeking Angie to be a mentor, she's available? Depends what the mentorship is all about. Okay. So perhaps she is available. Anyway, Angie, thank you for coming in. Thanks, Chris. All right. Well, to honor that interview, I decided I would come down to Beaumont Marine Park. So... Beaumont is located on the South Island, and to get here, I had to hike two and a half kilometers. First of all, up a steep hill, then down another steep hill, then alongside the ocean until I finally reached the campground at the end of the trail, which is where I'm at right now. And Beaumont is located in Bedwell Harbor, and it is a beautiful, tranquil, 
late afternoon in the late fall right now and can just barely hear the water lapping up beside me and it's such a beautiful spot down here and uh, the reason I decided to come down here was because I wanted to do something to honor my body to do something physical and to feel good and do it in a really spectacular place and I want to thank Angie for that interview and Angie's been a friend for years and I realized as I was editing the interview that there are things I found out about Angie that I didn't know about her prior to this interview and it just made me realize that with people in our lives that we've known for even a long time, there's so much about them that we don't know. And yeah, it just makes me think that asking people some interesting questions or abstract questions during conversations can really lead to finding out more about people and really deepening the connection that you have with your friends. Just a thought. And I want to thank you all for listening very much. It means a lot that people tune in and listen to these. Until next time.